Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Glad to see you all here. Um, as uh, Steve said, I'm Ivan, Ivan Stewart. I'm a member of the church here, so I'm just going to share a word with you this morning. I also have my timer here and my notes, so I'm going to be a good steward over your time. Promise not, not to go over and try to stay within that realm. And without further ado, we'll go ahead and get started. All right, I'm going to be coming from the book of Genesis this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Adam and Eve. Um, I'm sure you guys are all very familiar with the story or at least heard the, uh, the concept before, but we're going to dig into a little bit of the details today uh, and um, fly through a couple verses. So uh, in the beginning, right, we read in Genesis 1, 1, that in the beginning God created. And in the Genesis chapter 1, it goes through a series of how the earth was created, right? There's an order to it. So we know that in the beginning, um, God creates the earth in six days. He starts off, right, uh, with light. He moves on to day two. He creates the sky and the seas. He moves on to day three. He creates the land. And then on days four, five, and six, we see him filling those things he created in the first, in the first three days, right? So we see on day four, the sun, moon, stars being created. We see on day five, God fills the sea with fish. He fills the sky with birds. And then we come to day six, the last day of creation. He creates land animals. And the last, uh, the last of his creations is man, right? Um, in fact, in Genesis 1.26, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So it's, it's actually very significant. If you go to Genesis 1:26 and you read that little section, there's something distinctly different about how God creates man. He says he creates man in his own image. He doesn't create the fish in his image. He doesn't create the stars in his image. When it comes to man, he creates man in his own image. Man is the last thing he creates, right? So if you think of yourself, I don't know, like building a Sunday or, or something, right? And you put a cherry on top, right? Like it's the last thing. It's the finishing touch, right? I've even heard it be said that man is the crown of God's creation, right? If you think of a crown, a crown is something to represent what? Represent, makes that person stand out from the rest of the creation, right? Makes rulers wear crowns, kings wear crowns. And it also signifies that they're in charge, right? That they have dominion, right? And that's one of the things that God says in 126 and 27. He says, let us make man in our image and give them dominion, which means that man is ruling, right? So Genesis 1, we see the creation account. We see that man is made in the image of God. We go to Genesis 2, and God enters into covenant and explains in a little bit detail of, one, what happens, right? In Genesis 2.15, we read, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So what are the stipulations of the covenant, right? Man is put in the garden. He's to work and to keep it, right? God, I created all this. Now you have to work and to keep it. And then God says something interesting here, right? He says, he commands the man, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So I've heard it asked, you know, why did God put this tree in this garden? Was he trying to trip Adam up? Like, what's going on here? Like, if this tree could cause some sort of harm to him, like, 
is God just sort of being like arbitrarily just like a bully here? Well, no, that's not the case, right? We're looking at it from a wrong lens, right? The significance is not even necessarily the tree, but the God behind the tree, right? Man's authority is delegated under God, right? If I leave my home, I'm the head of my home, right? I'm the representative of my home. And I leave my son in charge. He's not free to do whatever he wants. He's free to rule under my authority. He knows my rules. He knows what I expect of him. So it's not a blank check to do whatever he wants. And this tree sort of signified that, right? God says, hey, I'm God. You're the creature. You can eat anything you want in here, but this tree is mine. And that tree serves as a reminder to who's God and who's man, right? Who's in charge, who's not. And so Adam had freedom. God wasn't depriving him of food. He wasn't depriving him of a responsibility. Anywhere you want to go, but this tree here is a reminder of our covenant and that I'm God and that there are things that you can and cannot do, right? You must obey and follow the covenant that I've laid before you. Now we go to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and we read, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat in it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Right. So we all know the story. Chapter 3, the serpent comes, disguised as part of the creation, deceives Eve. Like, ah, did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? And they eat, and that covenant is broken, right? And this is such an important event because what happens between Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are significantly, um, they, they, they tremendously change the course of our relationship with God, with God's relationship with God and all of humanity, from this one event, right, that still has a burden upon us today. So you say, you might ask, say, Brother Ivan, what is the story in Genesis? What do these first three chapters of Genesis have to do with me today? Why do I need to know about this story? What's the significance of it? Glad, glad you asked. Um, sis, I'll, get, I'll grab you, but I only got a couple minutes, so I'll, I'll steal your question at the end. But thank you. Thank you. I do want to answer your question. So. You can paint a note if you want. Romans 5.12, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So remember, we talked about that idea of headship, of representative, right? Just like I gave the example in my home, right? I'm the head of my home. I'm a representative of my home, right? We have a president represents us in the United States. The president today said, hey, we're going to go to war with this country. Whether you like it or not, we all go to war, right? Like it's going to impact all of us. So this idea of headship is, is a reality, and it's a reality we live with every day. So in this verse that I just read, Paul stresses here this idea of headship and reputation. He says, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, death through sin, and so death spread to all men. So the sin that Adam committed in the garden was imputed to us, right? That word, the idea of imputation is that Adam's sin is credited to us. It's just like we were there and we did it, right? Because in Adam, when Adam sinned, all humanity fell. All of humanity sinned, 
Now, evidence of this, right? Look at the world around us. We have, I mean, think of it. We all have aches, pains, wars, famine. Um, we just read Genesis 1. God laid it out pretty clearly, right? We don't even know the difference between boys and girls in some circles, which is unfortunate because God has made that crystal clear in creation. We have millions of babies being aborted and slaughtered, but yet we read in Genesis 1.26 that all people are made in the image of God and image bearers of God. Um, we can further even not even just look to the outside world. We can look at ourselves, right? From birth, we're natural liars. We naturally steal. Any of you have children know this, right? You have to tell your kids. You have to teach them to be good, right? You have to tell them to stop doing stuff. Don't hit your brother. Don't hit your sister. When I tell you something, I expect you to tell me the truth, right? The little things that we don't even think are significant, all the gossip we say, think people tell us things in private, we share it with others. Um, many of us have vices. Maybe we struggle with alcohol, we struggle with drugs, we struggle with food. But, you know, food's not illegal, so we don't think it's such a big deal. There's a sin called gluttony out there, right? We can be greedy. The times when we share, uh, when God has given us resources and we don't help help people out. My point being is there's never been a moment where we've fully, there's not a person on this earth that's loved the Lord God with all their hearts, soul, mind, and strength and loved their neighbor as himself perfectly. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. And the reason why is we have this strange union with Adam. We have this strange tie to this sin that happened in Genesis 3, right? Your body wasn't meant to break down. God created the garden and he gave life. The reason your body breaks down is because you're dying, right? I'm going to read it again. Romans 5, 12. Just as one sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. So if you really don't believe you're a sinner, what does it say here that all people sin do? You die. <laughs> you die because you're a sinner. Right? Death is promised. It's evidence that you've broken God's law. However, we talked about this idea of headship. We're all born in Adam. Adam is a represent, representative of all of us. However, there is another head, right? And that other head is Christ. <laughs> and Jesus Christ, right, who was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. He was sinless. He was truly God. And he died for those who would put their faith in him. And the evidence for Christ's perfection, the evidence that Christ was perfect, the evidence for Christ said he was, when he died, he got back up. Right? When he died, he got back up. Adam, when he died, he stayed dead. When we die... We, we stay dead because we've sinned, right? But there's another head. There's another representative, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So it's interesting there. Did you hear what they call Christ? The last Adam. What Adam failed to do, Christ did. Christ is referred to as the last Adam. Not another Adam, but the last Adam. And this is an important point. There's a lot of debate in our culture over race. Biblically speaking, there are two races. There are those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ, period. That's it. It's the only two races that exist. Believers and unbelievers. Two covenant heads. When you die and you stand before God, you either die in your own sin in Adam or you will die with Christ as your representative. In Adam, if you die in Adam apart from faith in Christ, you will inherit Adam's guilt and you will have the judgment that comes along with that. For those in Christ, it's interesting. In Christ, you don't inherit death, but you inherit life, right? Stark difference. So the most important question that I want to leave with you today is when you die, 
because you're all going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. Who will be your representative? Who will be your covenant head? If you die in Adam, if you think it doesn't matter, I'll get around to it later. Everything that you experience now that's even remotely good is all a gift of grace from God. Things that you take for granted that I take for granted. When you walk outside, you hear birds chirping. On a hot day, you may feel a cool breeze come upon you and cool you down. You may have had a mother. Maybe she didn't teach you the Bible, but she just took care of you and nurtured you. You have pets. All these things that you experience that are good, that you enjoy, are all blessings from God. They're all gifts of his grace. But if you die outside of Christ, all of God's grace, all of his goodness is all stripped away. It's gone forever. There's no more cool breeze. There's no more nice talks with those loved ones. There's no more good meals. All those things that we experience. It says that in the Bible that God's goodness should lead us to repentance. Because we look out and we see that, hey, you know when I wake up tomorrow, the sun's going to be up. <laughs> if, if I need something to drink, I can get a glass of water. All these things that God has put in the DNA of the earth should lead us to him, should call, cause us to mourn for him. But if we ignore that, if we ignore that blessing, if we ignore that grace, then all those things will one day be stripped away. It means to an end, there will only be judgment for us. But for those who put their faith in Christ, every sin, every vice that grips you, I don't care if it was food, drugs, alcohol, lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it is, just even the ability to have a conversation with someone and go, you know what, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Even something as simple as that, as that if that's your advice, you know what, I'm just so stubborn, I'm not going to talk to that person. The moment we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit will begin to work in us and he will give us the power to free us from those vices, right? That's the evidence of putting your faith in Christ. I remember when I became a Christian around 2007, immediately my taste in music changed, the way I talked to people changed, the way I thought about things that changed. I would even look at a bird differently knowing that God created that bird, right? Before it was just a bird, but now that's something that God made, right? So as the Spirit works in a believer of someone who puts their faith in Christ, they will become sanctified. And eventually when they die, instead of reaping judgment, they they become glorified, right? Now sin is no longer a struggle. You're freed from that sin. So there are some people may even think, hey, you know, I've done that. I put my faith in Christ, but I'm really not just living that way. Well, what do we call somebody that says something and doesn't do it, right? Person's a hypocrite. Um, this is something I come in contact all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, I trust in Christ. Okay, great. Well, what church do you go to? When's the last time you prayed? What are you reading in your Bible, right? There's, there's, nothing about, there's nothing about you that says Christ. That's a call to examination that uh, maybe there's something missing there, right? So um, in these last 20 seconds that I have, I just want to encourage you to consider whenever you have an opportunity, go home in your quiet town is who is going to be your head? Who's going to be, when you die, are you going to be able to say, I've trusted in Christ. I've been born again. I believed. I've sought to obey Christ, not as, not as a means of salvation, but because I truly do love him and I truly do believe in him.